0: You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Today, undecidedly, we talk with Dondapani, who is a Hindu priest. He was a Hindu monk for over 10 years in Hawaii, moved to New York City, is now living in Costa Rica. He's done TED Talks that were viewed by over 5.6 million people, he's had videos that were viewed by over 76 million people. He speaks all around the world and has a great book coming out this week called The Power of Unwavering Focus. We had a wide-ranging discussion. We talked about how we were never taught to focus. In fact, we've become real pros at being distracted. We talked about how the mind and awareness are two different things and where our awareness goes, our energy flows. We talked about how to lead a ritualistic lifestyle and how to become more focused and more aware. And when we do that, we make better decisions. So it was a great discussion. I learned a lot. I know you will, too. This is Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. And the party, we're together. We finally
1: made it. Yes. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me.
0: Good to see you. I I actually am glad that we had to reschedule because it gave me a chance to read the preview of the book that you had sent. I had a tough time getting through through the book. And it wasn't. It it wasn't because it was badly written. I knew you were going to think that it was not because it was badly written. It was Uh, fantastically written. When I got through the book, it looked like the indictment for Trump. It was highlighted, and and (laughs) (laughs) I I kept making notes. I was highlighting things, and 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 then I I got into it, and I said, oh, I need to be highlighting things for different purposes, different parts of my life, different reasons. And so I got a different color highlighter. Oh no, it, was a, good to hear. it was so I kept going back through. I told my wife, I said, All right, I want you to read this book and I said it was really a, a struggle for me to get through. She goes, Oh, why was it not good? I said, It was so oh. good that it takes you a long time.
1: So yeah, anyway, no, thank I, you for thank you for that. No, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that, John. I'm glad I'm really glad you, you found it wonderful.
0: Yeah. So how does somebody become a Hindu monk? What caused you to to go into that into, into the monastery?
1: Yeah, so I suppose two two questions there. You know, what causes someone to be a Hindu monk? I I would say various reasons. You know, having lived as a monk in a monastery for 10 years and lived with other monks, I've seen different reasons why people join the monastery. Some are escaping from life or or whatever it may be. The reason that the monastery I lived in encouraged monks to join that monastery was enlightenment. And that was the pursuit self realization. And that was my reason for entering the monastery, I wanted that experience of self realization, which was experiencing divinity inside of me, at least that's the philosophy that you know, I subscribe to within Hinduism. So I uh, wanted to be monk since I was about three, four years old. And uh, ever since then, it was quest to find a teacher. And when I finally met my guru, when I was 21. Um, I wanted to join his monastery, and he wanted me to finish my degree. So I continued to study electrical engineering. As soon as I passed my last exam, I jumped on a plane and flew from Australia to Hawaii and uh, joined a monastery there. Wow. And you you live in Costa Rica now, is that right? I do, yes. I lived in New York with my wife for 11 years, and then we moved here almost two years ago because we're building a spiritual sanctuary and a botanical garden here in Costa Rica.
0: And you you have won the lottery on places you've lived in uh, in the... (laughs) <laughs> Australia, Hawaii, Costa Rica.
1: New York. Yeah. New t- York. Yeah. Place. Yeah. Man, t- I, uh,
0: so what is the process of doing that? You just show up at the door? Do you have to apply? Does it, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I would say every monastery is different. You know, I, I can definitely share the process at Uh It begins, you know, our monastery was small in terms of the number of monks. We only had 27 ordained monks at the time when I joined. And it's still always been very small. My my guru was very strict about who came in. So the, the getting to join the monastery process, it was almost a year or more of getting to know my teacher remotely. And by that time, email had just come out. So I would email back and forth. He would give me things to read. I would get to know him. He would get to know me because the guru-disciple relationship is an acceptance on both sides. So I have to accept him as a teacher. He has to, he has to accept me as a student. And... Only then can we begin that relationship of a a teacher-student. So you join the monastery, and you literally give up everything and everyone in your life. I spoke to my parents twice a year on the phone, maybe for an hour each time. Never emailed them, wrote to them, never spoke to any of my relatives or friends. You you give up your routines, everything, all your preferences, chocolate or ice cream or going to the beach or coffee or whatever it is you love and like, The music you listen to, it's all gone.
0: I'm sure that was one of the larger decisions in your life. Was it a difficult decision?
1: I would say the family part was tough. The other things, not so much. I desired self-realization so much that giving up these things wasn't really something, a consideration. Not that I didn't feel the effects of it or a sense of, oh man, my friends are all going out and partying and they're traveling and they're doing this, they're dating and yeah, I'm going off to be a monk, you know, and I'm only like 23, 24. Uh, so that, yeah, I had those feelings, but it wasn't hard to give up. The hardest part was, you know, giving up the people I loved and knowing that potentially I would never see my mom and dad or my brothers for the rest of my life or even the people I knew. And, and some of, most of the people I knew prior to getting on the plane to going to Hawaii, I've never seen them again wow. or even spoken to them. Yeah, so I'm so, a priest now, just to you know, just for your audience to be clear, I'm no longer a monk. I left the monastery after ten years of living there. Uh, the garb that I wear is the traditional outfit of a Hindu priest and, and in Hinduism priests can get married and have a family and work at McNalls and be an entrepreneur. So I'm an entrepreneur, I live with my wife and my, my daughter in Costa Rica.
0: You have a job or I don't know a lot about what a what a monk does. Financial day day. side
1: of the <laughs> of a monastery. Right. right. <laughs> I would say typically most monasteries are funded by a congregation or donors. And that's typically how it is. I would say across the board of most religions that have monasteries. Uh, in Hinduism, it's the same. Our monastery, my guru, I thought, was extremely financially savvy. He changed my perspective on money. He loved money. He loved what he could do with money and how he could impact people's lives and fulfill his mission with it. And I think there was so much misunderstanding when it comes to, excuse me, uh, spirituality and money. So the way the monastery earned money in the early days was that when the monastery was in San Francisco, before it moved to Hawaii, the monks worked as waiters and they were incognito. So they would work in the finest restaurants uh, in San Francisco as, as waiters bring the the tips, money they earn back and put it in the monastery uh, coffers, you know, and my guru would take a portion of that and create an endowment. So he had created two endowments, uh, one to look after the monks, and one to look after the buildings and grounds. And when the monastery moved to Hawaii, the monks had the largest apiary, the largest bee farm in Hawaii. So they sold honey for money and uh <laughs> and you know uh, the endowments have grown now i think to about 12 or thirteen million dollars oh, and God. interest from the endowments come to uh, care for the monastery and the monks yeah so the the, the endowments have grown quite large right now and uh, they financially support the monastery and people donate as well you know people still donate to the monastery but he has a policy where i, I believe it's Forty percent of every donation goes straight into the endowment because he he has a long or had a long term vision for the monastery, you know, hundreds of years, looking a thousand years ahead of you know, and the biggest one of the biggest questions the monks had to answer was, How are we gonna financially secure this place? A lot of places fall to ruin after the founder goes away. You know, people love yeah. the founder, he's he or she is the inspiration behind creating this, the founder goes away and everything just falls apart. He ensured that it had a good structure from administration to financially. And, and I really love that about him. And, and I especially love the perspective he shared with me about money and spirituality. Because a lot of times people go like, oh, money is bad. You know, the, money is the root of all evil. Right. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's not a perspective that he took you know, or I share.
0: A difficult decision to leave the, that environment mm-hmm. then.
1: Most difficult decision I've ever made uh, in my life uh, was leaving the monastery. Till today, I can tell you for a fact.
0: How did you wrestle through that decision?
1: You know, my guru died three years after I joined the monastery. And as the years went on, I felt we weren't aligned anymore or continue to be aligned. So when my vows came up for a renewal, I decided not to renew it and I decided to leave so so that was difficult but i realized that you know if we weren't aligned anymore then i should move on on my own so i made the decision to leave which was which was very difficult yeah
0: so you you went from Kauai to new york city you couldn't have picked a more different place
1: <laughs> to go. well i i figured you know sean everybody goes to new york you know when aliens come they go to new york Godzilla, right. king kong goes to new york everybody goes to new york every movie you like whoever's visiting earth goes to new york so asteroids gonna hit the planet it hits new york so <laughs> i thought you know i should go there you know. There must be something there exactly there's
0: something to it
1: yeah so- well i felt you know that it's it's compact you know i wouldn't need to get a car i wouldn't need to drive around i could get a little apartment and you can make it in new york
0: did you connect with your faith there with a, with a group, with a, uh, I know you, you didn't become a, you you weren't continuing to be a monk in New York city, but how did you connect with your faith there?
1: Well, you know, when I when I left the monastery, I spent a couple of months, I landed in LA, spent a couple of weeks there just to kind of get set up. And then I spent two months in Colorado living with a close friend of mine and a husband. And then I moved to Rochester, New York, where one of my best friends who's a priest, his father owns a temple in Rochester, Hindu temple in Rochester, New York. So I stayed with him for about eight or nine months. Uh, and my first winter ever in my life was in Rochester, New York, which was like a rude awakening to cold. <laughs> a little different from Kauai. Uh, it, yeah, exactly. And so he was very kind. Uh, he housed me, he cared for me, helped me get, you know, allowed me the space to get orientated back in the world again. And then from Rochester, I moved down to Manhattan and then started life there.
0: So what caused you to want to write the book?
1: My wife. Yeah? Yeah, she really pushed me to writing it. You know, I just never found that writing a book was the way going forward. I, I met a a gentleman through the entrepreneur's organization who I speak to a lot. Uh, And he told me many years ago, you should create online courses. That's the way to go going forward. You know, everybody's on their phone, everybody's digitally connected. Uh, They can access your content anywhere they want. They can listen to it on a bus, on a plane. Uh, So I started creating online courses quite a few years ago, and I thought that was a really great, piece of advice to give. I could modify the course, I could update the course, I could edit it, refine it, you know, very, very quickly. Whereas I felt a book was like, you know, why write a book? So but my my, my <laughs> anybody can write a book. Yeah. Well I realize now it's not so easy to write a book after <laughs> having written it. It's you know Yeah, so my wife really encouraged me to write it and a few close friends. So I decided to to write it. And you know, I I'm really glad I did Sean because the the process of writing it allowed me to articulate everything very, very clearly. And the, the published book right now is the third edition, even though it's the first edition to come out. I wrote the book once and then I rewrote it and then I rewrote the whole thing again for a third time. And and you know, it contains 27 years of my learnings because I, I literally met my guru 27 years and three days ago. Wow. That's how long ago I met him and everything from the last 27 years and three days of studying with him, well, not everything, the foundation of what I've learned with him is in that book. So it wasn't like I went to a retreat or I had a profound experience watching a dolphin jump out of the water and then decided to write a book. Uh, it has 27 years of content <laughs> and learning and experience and practice and failures.
0: You know, a lot of it, you know, I, I think... When we decide to think about what we're going to think about, we consciously focus on what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And spend time doing that. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and he was talking about wanting to help his, t- help his team, the, the team that he led at the business that he owned, be more in touch with how they felt about things. And what we realized through our discussion is, is that there was some work that he needed to do on being aware of what he was thinking and getting good at that before you, you know, strive to teach others what, you know, what they ought to think about. But the, the process of doing that, I found really challenging originally. And I I thought your book was helpful, but my awareness would kind of jump around.
1: (laughs) Thank you yeah. for getting thank you for getting that right. I, I I so really appreciate it. I've done a three hour workshop where I talk about awareness in the mind maybe a thousand times in three hours. Have a person come up to me after three hours and says, You know, the Party, my mind wanders all over the place and I'm going to like, Oh my god, your mind doesn't wander your awareness upon this And that's <laughs> what I've been talking about. So thank you for getting that right. I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to
0: make a point to do that. When when people decide to start thinking about what they think about deciding to really begin to to use the power of focus what do you find is their biggest struggle typically
1: a few things one is that you know in the book i make the point that we've never been taught to focus right So because we haven't been taught it and we don't practice it, then we're not good at it. So most people practice distraction all day, just jumping awareness, jumping from one thing to another. So that's what they're really good at. So when they embark on the process of learning how to focus, that's going to be the struggle. You have muscles in your mind that have been shaped to support a distracted mindset, not a focused mindset. So you have to be extremely patient and compassionate with yourself as you reshape those muscles to to take the form of a focus mindset and that's going to take a little bit of time and a lot of effort on your part and the book outlines a very systematic small the power of small incremental tiny steps towards achieving that and it can be done it can you know it's not difficult i learned to focus when i was 24 years old and as a kid i'm 48 now as a kid i got told all the time how distracted i was and good thing I was born in the 70s, so there wasn't an ADD or ADHD. No one drugged me back then. You know, this hit me. You know, hey, focus. Uh, right. But, but, you know, I mean, so if I could learn at 24, anybody can learn at any time. You just need to know how to do it. It's like you can't say to someone you can't learn to drive a car when you're 60 years old. That's incorrect. Someone needs to show you how a car works and then you need to practice it. And then you can drive a car or play a piano. Focus is no different. That would be one thing. And then the other thing to add, which is a little deeper, I would say, Sean, is that one of the big challenges when you start to focus is that you start to see things. Observation is a byproduct of a focused state of mind. So you start to observe a lot more things because you're not jumping all over the place, right? So all of a sudden, your awareness is just one place at a time. Now I can look at you and go, oh, it looks like you have a yellow screen behind you. You have headphones on, you have glasses, uh, you know, you, you have a mic, blah, 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 and things like that. So I can only do that if I'm focused. So not only do you become observant of things around you, you start to become observant of things inside of you, the good things and not so good things. So that requires also more compassion and empathy, self empathy. I'm like okay i have some work
0: to do you know the the distractedness is uh yeah. is a big key i when i was growing up we didn't have you know adhd wasn't a thing you know right. wasn't a thing. Well, yeah. maybe it was a thing it wasn't a thing people w- were aware of yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it probably exists but the uh the solution was just to yell at people you know just tell yeah, exactly. them you know just pay attention you know quit quit messing around you know yeah. smack them on the back of the head that was the exactly solution. And, right and, uh, and now we, but I think it seems like we we drug people too quickly now, you know, that, that, I completely agree. That becomes the solution.
1: You know, I, I mentioned in the book, right, Sean, uh, where the gentleman, like I had a story where a gentleman comes up to me at an event and says, you know, uh, my son's been diagnosed with ADD or ADHD and he's being drugged now. He's seven years old. and am extremely unhappy about it. And then I asked him, I said to him, you know, I'm not a medical expert, I don't fully understand ADD or ADHD. Can you share with me what is the essence of the problem? He says, oh, my son struggles to concentrate. Uh, He gets distracted all the time at school, at home. So the doctor diagnosed him with attention deficit disorder, and now he's on medication. So I go, okay, if he's struggling to concentrate and focus, and that's what you're telling me is the essence of the problem, can I just ask a simple question? has anyone taught him how to focus? But I go like, it's just like an eye-opener for him, like, no. And I go like, okay, then how then do we expect him to focus? the same way if someone told me to play the piano and I can't play the piano, they diagnose me with PPD, which is piano playing disorder, and then drug me for it. That would be unfair. The right step would be to teach me how to play the piano, help me practice the piano so I can be good at it, and maybe after four or five years of training, I still struggle. Then maybe medication could assist me. But I don't think that's the first go-to. Why is it? Why why do we drug someone where they don't know? We train people to do everything else. If, you, if you're a business owner and you hire employees and you have software or a cleaning company that cleans carpets, don't you teach them how to use the tools? Train them how to use the tools properly so they can go out there and install you know uh, routers or you know servers or clean carpets why don't we teach people you wouldn't drug them if they didn't know how to clean a carpet with your tool i it's just puzzling to me
0: how do we teach people how to focus then
1: you know I, i i really wish sean i could you know i mean this is the most common question i get right can you tell my audience a quick little tidbit that they can just hang on to and start practicing focus it doesn't work that way you in the financial business, correct? Yeah, right. I'm out of the monastery. Just say I walked out of the monastery doors yesterday, landed in Los Angeles with my robes and my beads, and I say to you, can "You teach me about. Can you just give me like a quick little highlight about finance? So this this <laughs> right. penniless, what, pen- what should
0: I invest in? Yeah, what should yeah I, what
1: should yeah, you- yeah So this penniless monk can even get going, you know, and be successful. <laughs> I mean, like, where do you even start? You
0: know, one of the things when I looked at that and and I knew that that was a a component of what you had what you had written. And I found it fascinating because my my mind, uh, my (laughs) awareness, my awareness (laughs) uh, was around how to how to focus. And I thought the answer would be to block out the things that were distracting me
1: common things athletes say, right? Like I mentioned in the book. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and that, that would seem to be the logical step is that if I want to focus on a, I should block out B, I should block out all these distractions. And, and you were seeming to say that that's not the way to go.
1: Can we go back to you understanding awareness in the mind, that the mind doesn't move, that awareness moves within the mind. And then go back mm-hmm. also to what you just said. If I want to focus on A, I have to block out B. If I'm blocking out B, where's my awareness going? Right to B. Right.
0: It's it's around B.
1: Right. Yes. And so yeah. when athletes say, you know, I'm on the court, you know, I have a, a a free throw, I have to block out everything. So now I'm blocking out what the opposition team is saying to me. I'm blocking out the cheerleaders. I'm blocking out the fans blocking out somebody else screaming at me my awareness is going to all those things as opposed to the net where i need to get the ball in that's a it's a we we say things right we just say things because that's becomes a habit and everybody just says it without even thinking about it
0: we spoke to jeremy pointsnow a few weeks back who's a a world championship blind golfer and he made the comment to me that when he he'll go up and he'll have he has to have somebody direct him where to where to hit the ball and many times they will they will tell him hey watch out because there's a there's a hazard on the left and he'll always turn to them and say i can't see the hazard on the left and you just introduced that into my
1: you know into the <laughs> equation Right? <laughs> did you yeah. do that <laughs> yeah no exactly yeah
0: yeah so, so i focus think it's the same about thing. Aware- yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah focus is about awareness getting absorbed in who and what it is engaged with if I can keep my awareness fully engaged with who and what I'm with, I'm focused. And that's all you need to do. It's not difficult. Uh, and the book outlines the very simple, systematic steps in how to do that. You know, we don't even go into meditation. We don't even go into breath control, breathing exercises, none of the stuff. The book focuses on the fundamental understanding of how the mind works and then creating rituals or practices throughout the day. Right. So that it becomes part of our lifestyle. And I think the the approach in today's world, because people lack the understanding of what focus is, the approach is, you know, if I meditate for five or ten minutes in the morning, if I do my head space for ten minutes, or I do a breathing exercise in the morning for five minutes, I'll be better at focusing. I can be more focused throughout the day. And that's incorrect. What are you doing the rest of the twenty-three hours and forty-five minutes? It's your awareness running around all over the place, and um, it's it's not it's not balanced.
0: You know, I was really practicing this past week focusing, and I decided that one of the things I was going to focus on was when I was talking with my wife that I would be more fully engaged than I was aware that I had been in the past, and it was really interesting. I became aware of the conversations in a different way. Um, you know, I didn't tell her I was doing it, but I was just, you know, I was really focused on her as I was talking and as yeah. I was listening and on that conversation and not letting, uh, things enter my mind and, you know, about, Oh, what do I have to do tomorrow? What do I, what am I going to say to yeah. what she just said? Uh, I wonder, uh, you know, if, if anything's happening on my phone that I ought to check well, you know?
1: <laughs> right.
0: And that's really awareness drifting a away, experience.
1: right? Mm-hmm. It truly is. And, and, and in the book I say about leveraging the non-negotiable reoccurring events in your average day, right? So speaking with your wife is non-negotiable. It's reoccurring on an average day. So rather than create something new in your life, you are integrating the practice of focus into an experience that happens every day, which is speaking with your wife. So every time you speak with your wife, you keep your awareness on her. It drifts away to your phone. It drifts away to a thought about a client. You bring it back. And now if you speak to your wife two hours a day, a cumulative total of two hours a day, five minutes here, 10 minutes there, one minute here, and each of those durations and opportunity to practice concentration, you're practicing focus for two hours a day after six months, what would you be good at? If you practice the piano two hours a day, what would you be good at? Yeah. Playing the piano. You know, if you practice focus two hours a day by leveraging something that's already happening, which is speaking with your wife. Now it becomes almost effortless, you know, creating something new in the morning, you not know, waking up at 6am saying, Oh, I got to do my yoga, my meditation, my breath control, my blah, 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 and whatever. Because your whole day becomes rituals, right, Sean, your whole day, the idea is to create a lifestyle that helps reshape the mind to a focused mindset. And that's the key. And I think people need to grasp that key, right awareness in the mind is the first concept, then making the whole day a practice. And I show that in the book, right? How do you identify what you can use as practices and then integrate? that into, into your practice the same way you've done with your life. Now, um, there may be somebody in your company that you talk to every day. Is there one person that you have to talk to every day, Monday to Friday? Yeah. Who would that yeah, Who my, would that be? Uh, Diane. Diane. So, yeah. every time you speak with Diane, you give Diane your undivided attention. She's probably loving this fact that this is your new homework. Count.
0: She, she <laughs> might like less attention from me. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> How many minutes a day would you say? A cumulative total? Would you speak with Diane? Uh, boy, Roughly. probably an hour and a half. A okay, day. so an, an hour and a half. So you think you may have an hour and a half, two hours with your spouse at home, an hour and a half with Diane at work. You're up to three hours. Only those two opportunities. The rest of the day, go ahead and be a squirrel. But now you yep. start adding, making those things that reoccur in your life an opportunity to practice, a ritual for practicing concentration. It won't take you very long before you just your mindset is just programmed to be focused. The same way it's programmed to be distracted. Right. It, came through, it came through practice.
0: Yeah, I, I really had to fight it because it, it's you know there's so many distractions. It, it seems like there's more now than, than ever. <laughs>
1: For sure, no. You know, because I do.
0: I do everything. You know, most of the things I do are on my phone now, and so everything. You know, if everything is coming through this one channel, I my focus tends to go to that one channel to to be productive, to be entertained, to be you know educated, informed. You know, all these things, and it in my focus is around this device. (laughs) So yeah, maybe maybe that's that's not good all the time.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important to define our relationship with technology, right? I, I'm pro technology and people always hold their phones up at me and tell me, you know, Donna the Party these things are ruining our lives. And I go, No, they're not ruining our lives. It's 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 your inability to exercise discipline around the use of them that's ruining your life. And for me, I'm clear of my purpose in life. My purpose in life defines my priorities in life, which allows me knows what allows me to know what to focus on now when i because that part is clear now when i look at my phone i ask the question how can this phone serve me in leading a purpose-focused life so i look at the phone as a servant to me it's here to serve me not me to serve it so the same way i'm creating a botanical garden here in costa rica like a spiritual botanical garden i have shovels they sit in a container in the garden When I want to dig a hole, I open the container, I grab a shovel, I dig the hole. When I'm done, I put the shovel back in the container. Treat the phone like a shovel. If you need the phone to help you fulfill your purpose and your priorities in life, grab the phone. You don't need it to fulfill that. Put it away. And when you can define that relationship clearly, then it becomes less of a distraction. The, The shovel is not a distraction for me. I only grab it when I need it. So I, the same way I, I am establishing or have established that relationship with my phone. It, it's just if, if I need it to do what I fulfill what I need, my priorities. I grab it. If I don't, it doesn't need to be there.
0: Do you still find that there are things that create distractions for you?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I think I'm getting better at focusing. You know, as the years go by, as I work harder <laughs> at it. No, really, one, because- one would
0: hope, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> because you know I think people may think that you know I, I wrote this book on focus I'm a master at it you know I'm perfect today I, absolutely not I get distracted I, I'll tell you a story a few years ago we bought the land here in Costa Rica 10 years ago and I met an Irish guy that lives here Robbie he had a little deli selling you know groceries and stuff and two three years later we became good friends and he said oh, I want to get rid of it I want to start a surf shop that has coffee and, and a dra- uh, draft of beer and I go like, cool. I can't surf. But I thought, you know, if I can partner in on the surf shop, I'll get the cool surf creds. Uh, right. <laughs> I said, shall we, we go into business? You know, like, he says, great. Let's do it. So we started talking about the business, how we would structure it. It was going to be in the same town that I was going to move into. Three months into it, we were like, you know, knee, waist deep in all of this. I called one of my close friends, who was also a bit of a mentor to me. And I shared with him what I was doing. And I asked him, what do you think? He, and he said, "You're an idiot." And I said, "Tell me something I don't know." And uh, and he goes, "You talk about focus. You talk about purpose, defining your priorities. Why the hell are you opening up a surf and brew shop when you can't even surf and you don't even drink beer, or you hardly ever drink beer? Is that aligned with your purpose?" And I go, "Absolutely not. And you're right. I got distracted." So. I think we we will perpetually get distracted through our life. That's unavoidable. We just need to be awareness needs to be aware of itself enough to redirect itself to our purpose and priorities. And along with focus, Sean, you know, defining purpose and priorities is key, right? Because knowing to focus itself is not enough if you don't know what you're going to focus on.
0: Right? Yeah. For sure. You know, I I think finding out what your purpose is is key. And I and I think there are a lot of a lot of times we don't have clarity on that. Do you find that a lot of the people you talk to don't have a lot of clarity on what
1: their purpose is? Most people don't because we've never been and I don't blame them. We've never been taught that we need a purpose in life. You go through school, you learn all kinds of things. Your parents teach you all kinds of things, but no one tells you that you need a purpose in life. Your business has a mission and a vision statement, right? And that helps you to guide your business. So why shouldn't life have a purpose? And how would we find a purpose if we've never been told that we need one or shown how to go about finding one's purpose?
0: But we should have a purpose. I think that's the part that's difficult is that I don't see a lot of information and maybe I haven't sought it out in the right way that provides a good guide on how to determine what that purpose is.
1: No, there's hardly anything out there that teaches you in a very structured way uh, how to find that. But before even finding the purpose, I would say focus is the prerequisite for discovering purpose. Because what I always say is, if I can't be focused, how can I be in a state of self-reflection long enough to reflect on what it is I want in life? I need to be able to turn my awareness inward, reflect on my life and go. What do I want down the party? What makes me happy? Who makes me happy? What is the source of my joy? What do I really want to get out of life? Oh, look at that buddy hopping over there. Well, that's interesting. Okay. What was I saying? Yes. What's my purpose on life? I think I should get pizza tonight. It's been a long time since I've had pizza. Yeah. I like that margarita pizza. I'm going to get it from that store. Oh, yeah. Going back to purpose. <laughs> I'll never find my purpose if I can't <laughs> focus long enough to self-reflect and look within and see what it is I want. And that's why I start with focus. And and that's why, you know, I could have written a book on meditation. I could have written a book on self-realization. I could have written a book on discovering purpose. But if we don't have that fundamental skill of purpose, of of focus, how will we achieve anything else in our life?
0: How can you be certain you're focusing on the highest and best thing you should be focusing on? In in other words, if I want to say I'm going to focus on happiness or I'm going to focus on calmness or, or whatever. And yeah. yet, may, and I'm just using those as examples, that there yeah. might be some higher purpose that I should be focusing, that I'm missing yeah. the boat, so to speak.
1: Well, it's a ladder, right? You have to take the next step, the next run before you take the one above it. Yes, you can say, okay, should I be thinking about enlightenment? Should I be thinking about self-realization and experience of divinity? Should I, Is that what I should be focusing on? Okay, maybe it is, but... What's the next step you should be doing? It should always be in incremental steps. So, what do I focus on? I focus on the things that uplift me, that make me happy. You know, focus, calmness, which is all contentment, peace of mind. These are the things people want. But these are, it's very important to understand that these are byproducts, right? What you want to do is craft a lifestyle. What kind of lifestyle can I craft when I focus on that lifestyle? The byproduct of that lifestyle results in peace of mind, in contentment, in happiness, in joy, in fulfillment. So, you know, I I talk a lot about energy vampires, about eliminating people in your life that are toxic. Because spending time with toxic people doesn't uplift you. So how do we handle that? So I've crafted a life where I surround myself with people that are uplifting. There are no toxic people in my life. So it's not so much about focusing on happy people, it's focusing on uh, Yeah, well, focusing on happy people and the byproduct of that is that I lead an uplifting life. But crafting the lifestyle is is, it, it should be the primary focus and then focusing on that. So not the pursuit of happiness, not not, you know, in the book, I talk about how you know, we shouldn't pursue happiness, right? Happiness is a byproduct. And a lot of people will say, especially parents say to their kids, you know, mom and dad only want you to be happy. And, um, you know, don't pursue happiness. Pursue a lifestyle where that results in the feeling of happiness, that results in the feeling of peace of mind. That's what we should focus on. Does that make sense? I'm not sure if I articulated no, no, myself. It, it makes total
0: sense. You know, yeah. there were there were people that I know that focus on, you know, it, it seems like all of their stories are victim stories. And, and you know... it it always yeah. happens to them. And and where their awareness is is around how they're getting screwed over, how they're yeah. getting taken advantage of, how uh you know, something bad was happening to them. All of their stories were there. And I began to notice that. And I began to distance myself from it. I said, This boy, this person is just bad energy to me. All their stories are negative. Yeah. And they were such a pro at it, is is that you you could talk to them. And they begin to infect you because they, they dwell in that every day. They're a pro at it. It's no, like, I couldn't exactly. get away fast enough.
1: And since you understand awareness in the mind so well, let's talk about how awareness in the mind relates to what you just shared. So just say Joe is this toxic person and is always, you know, talking the way you're saying, he has allowed his awareness to go to that area of the mind over and over and over again his whole life. And now in the book, I talk about where awareness goes, energy flows, right? So every time awareness goes to that area of the mind, that's where energy is flowing. Energy is being deposited in that area of the mind. That area of the mind becomes strengthened and becomes really magnetic. Now, when Joe is speaking to you, he's pulling your awareness to that area of the mind. Because that area of the mind that he's cultivated for years, which is like the negative self-talk, the depressing part, whatever it may be, is so highly magnetized that it can pull your awareness to that area and before you know it you're experiencing what he's experiencing the opposite is also true if you find a person who has awareness has been going to an uplifting area of the mind for decades and they've deposited so much energy there and that area of the mind is so magnetic when you're standing with them he or she can pull your awareness to an uplifting area of the mind and after five minutes of conversation with that person you go like Oh, my God. Wow, that was so refreshing. Wow, that was just like, what an inspiring human being. Same thing, same thing that happened with Joe is happening with Susan, for example. And that's understanding the mind and how it works. Now allows you now to better navigate awareness in the mind and what to avoid and what not to avoid but once you when you don't understand how something works it becomes very hard to harness it control it and direct it
0: yeah for sure I, the the awareness of that was is really key when i became aware that you know hey this person's really dragging me to a place i don't i don't want to go <laughs> yeah know? yeah it's you know and it was so easy to fall into that trap i find that with people i interact with i was having a conversation with my dad the other day and he was talking about something and he he mentioned that you know the felt oh the state this is what happened with you know this and uh boy the state of texas is just corrupt because of this i said well you know dad they may not be corrupt they may just be bureaucratic and inefficient and maybe some other things you know he went right to he went right to this point where they were just corrupt i said i I don't know you know so i was (laughs) able to pull myself out of it rather than you know getting into this unproductive discussion about (laughs) politics that i didn't want to
1: (laughs) no and that's the great thing right once you understand that awareness and the mind are two separate things you can see where someone's awareness is going in their mind the mind is a vast space with so many different areas and once you understand this and you see the awareness starting to go and get closer and closer and closer to a negative area of the mind then you go like i don't want to go there and if you accompany them with your conversation then that's where your awareness is going to end up and that's what you're going to end up feeling. So I see that yeah, right away. I, was, I, I check out, you know, I, i yeah, move my to somewhere pull else. us out of that
0: uh, exactly. death spiral discussion that we were about to go in, you know, as I, as yeah. I look at, you know, focus, you know, one of the things I, I find is that as I'm able to focus on things more precisely, I'm able to see things differently because I'm able to, to have a different perspective and come up with better solutions, advice and better yeah. decisions because I'm able to focus, and, and I think for some people it seems counterintuitive that we ought to have a big picture, we ought to uh, look at all the options, look at all the choices, look at all, you know, and I, I find that if I'm able to focus, I'm actually coming up with better decision-making frameworks.
1: Observation is a byproduct of a concentrated state of mind. The more I concentrate, the more I'm observant. The more I'm observant, the more information I gather, the more things I see doesn't mean I'll always make better decisions, but I have the ability now, the opportunity now, to take that information, process it, and make better decisions. I mean, what? how has Google made money? How has Facebook made money? By gathering information. They gather tons of information. They have the ability to process that information, form conclusions, and sell it back to us. Right. right. And, and we don't if we're so distracted, we don't see opportunities, we don't see information, we don't see pitfalls around us. That's why for me as an entrepreneur, I find focus is a non negotiable asset, absolutely non negotiable. And for my team as well, because I want my team to be observant. I want them to see opportunities. I want them to see pitfalls. I don't want them to miss information, going by opportunities going by. And if you're distracted, You would miss all of that. A client could be talking to one of your team members, mention something briefly, and because they weren't concentrated, they won't even hear it. And now a huge opportunity would have gone by. I find I catch 99% of the things because I can actually focus on what people are saying. And through little bits of information, they've told me so much that I can now use as an opportunity to push my business forward.
0: I've become more and more aware of how energy is... Uh, is transferred. And I I try and make sure that I'm not putting myself in a position where it's an energy drain, where energy is flowing just out, and yeah. I, I feel depleted. So I, I try and focus on uh, making sure that I'm aligned with my values, that I'm acting in a way that's consistent. Uh, yeah. Because that I make sure that in the work that I do, that I'm using my strength, uh, so that I'm not Depleting energy, trying to fight against my natural tendencies, trying to fight against uh, what my values are, or doing something that's misaligned with my values. Are you finding that in in the work that you're doing around focus that there is that correlation with with energy depletion? If somebody's not focused, that they're just draining energy, they finish the day depleted and exhausted.
1: Absolutely, because if where awareness goes, energy flows, if my awareness is jumping all over the place, then that's where my awareness is going i I give the example in the book where imagine if awareness is a car, and energy is the gasoline that fuels the car. If my car sat idle in the driveway for an hour, I wouldn't consume very much gasoline. But if I drove around like an Uber driver all over the place. I would consume a lot of gasoline. So my awareness of jumping all over my mind, I'm consuming tons of energy as opposed to just staying focused on one thing.
0: Yeah, it's, pro- it's probably a lot like that in business too. You know, for businesses that are, you were using the example of starting a surf shop, uh, that the businesses that are that are too distracted, not focused on what their real core purpose is, are consuming a lot of energy, so to speak, and not being able to to reach their full potential, I I, I think I find that with people that uh, are not clear. I do a lot, you know financial planning work. I, I talk to people about their investments and their goals all the time. And if they're not clear on what their core goal is, you know, here, what's the main thing we're trying to accomplish here? Uh, what is the, what's the importance of this money to you? What are we trying to do here? that they're all over the place with uh, talking about stocks or talking about, Hey, my brother-in-law has a friend who works for a company. Should we buy this stock? And you know, all this type of stuff. I had a discussion the other day with uh, somebody and we were, uh, they were retired. Uh, they were uh, had a, sort of a conservative mindset, a very conservative investment structure. We had quantitative uh, filters on how we bought their investments yeah. And at the end, he said, hey, you know, what do you think about getting in the, uh, you know, a stock that, that buys battery, you know, that builds batteries for electric cars? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, that would not be aligned with your investment thesis that we've built. I, I said, that's, good. <laughs> we would have to change everything to do that. I said, you can do that. But well, number one, you're conservative and that's not going to be a conservative. Number two, right. You you wanted big, you know. This doesn't fit at all, uh, but he was really distracted. So I was, uh, I was just kind of smiling with him. I said, it's you know, be focused, I guess is what I was saying to him.
1: But yeah, hey, and, that, that hap- and you're right. You know, a lot of companies are distracted. And, and take me for an example, right? I mean, I have a clear mission of what I want to do with my business and my everything. And here I am having a conversation with a good friend on opening a surf and brew store. Like, Why? Seriously, I have a finite amount of time, I have a finite amount of financial resources, and I have a finite amount of energy. Why am I investing all three of those in a certain store? So that's why it's so important to articulate clearly one's purpose in life, have the purpose defined priorities, and then cultivate the sense of unwavering focus so we can stay focused on the priorities and purpose. The byproduct of that is we live a rewarding life. And we need to review those purpose and priorities, right, so that we can always recalibrate ourselves perpetually. It's, it's always a, a process of cost correction. I don't know how to fly a plane. I'm just assuming when a plane flies, it just doesn't go in a straight line that it might need to cost correct because there's turbulence or wind or I would imagine or sailing a ship, right? It just doesn't go in a straight line. You're always cost correcting it in some way. And I feel life is it's no different but unless like you say you articulate the purpose clearly the priorities clearly how would you course correct
0: right yeah yeah if you don't know don't know where you're trying to get to yeah it's hard to it's hard to know what course correction to make
1: yeah lewis carroll has this beautiful saying you know he said uh if you don't know where you're going uh, any road will get you there, <laughs> and I love that. Perfect. You know,
0: oh, that's great. <laughs> hey, th- thank you so much for being with me today and, and talking to me that. and sharing your your uh, viewpoints on on focus. I I found the book really profound. I think it's one of those books that you don't just read once; that you go back and plow through again uh, because there's there's so much in there uh, to absorb. So I, I really appreciate not not just the time you spent talking to me today, but the effort I'm sure you put in to put that book together, and it, and it shows.
1: No, thank you so much, Sean. And, and for all the business leaders that are out there listening to this, I, I would highly encourage you to get the book and, and to also give it to your employees, because there's nothing greater gift that you can give them than the ability to focus that they can now start to give their undivided attention to their work and to their families at home. And they'll just live more rewarding life as a result of it.
0: So tell me, where can people find you? Where where can they find uh, your book?
1: Yes. So the book is called The Power of Unwavering Focus. And you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Goodreads, uh, basically online bookstores. You can also find it in physical bookstores. Uh, it's available now in, in the U.S. as of September 6th and then uh, international editions are rolling out in the, in the coming weeks and then it's going to be translated into 20 languages and that should come out probably most likely next year sometime as well, the other translations.
0: And you've got a website where people can get access to your, uh, your other information?
1: Yeah, it's dandapani.org, that's D-A-N-D-A-P-A-N-I dot O-R-G and you'll find information about my book on there, courses that I have, I have a rituals feature within the app on how to create focus rituals throughout the day. Uh, which is something that, if you're interested, you can explore and look at that rituals thing. It helps you create rituals and also grade them and see how well you're doing. And the app keeps chart of keeps track of your progress. Perfect. Collects data on how well you're focusing.
0: Well, I can't recommend the book high enough. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm not not just saying that. I really did. So thank you.
1: No, thank you, Sean, and thank you so much for uh, having me on your show, and, and thank you for being a good student of awareness in the mind and for using the correct terminology of saying awareness moves in the mind does well. I, I really appreciate that. That was the biggest gift you gave me today.
0: <laughs> My discussion with Don Duponti is really helped me realize that we've spent our whole lives getting great at being distracted. And as I was thinking about what my takeaway was, I'm sitting up there on the 11th floor in our studio for decidedly podcast. And down on the, on the ground, I see a person playing tennis and I started watching this person playing tennis and I got distracted. (laughs) So so, So hilarious, but our, our mind has different rooms in it. And, and whether it's happiness or calmness or peace or enjoyment, whatever that, that is in our mind and our awareness moves from these places to this these places. Our awareness can move to distraction. Our awareness can move to what it is that we're wanting to focus on as well. And so just being aware of that dynamic that our mind is static, has different rooms in it and our awareness and energy can flow from place to place. Once we become familiar with that concept our ability to control our focus goes up and when our focus goes up our ability and our awareness to assess situations and make better decisions goes up you just made a great decision to listen to this episode of decidedly make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts we appreciate your support it helps others find our community and defeat bad decision making in their own lives for more daily decision making insights check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.